0: Morning. Merry Christmas, almost. Can you believe it's almost here? No, no. I'm seriously like, when did Thanksgiving happen? Because I didn't eat enough, and now Christmas is here. I can't believe it. So um, it's here. It's here. We have to get ready. If you're like me and you have not purchased a single gift yet, I love you, but I haven't purchased a gift yet. Uh, <laughs> if, you wanna, if you have any ideas, gift ideas, let me know. Uh, 314-608-3620. It says just send me a text. I need it. Uh, It really is my number, but you won't remember it, so it doesn't matter. Um, No, it's here. Like, get ready. Uh, If, you know, every week at the end of our sermons, we do next steps. Gentlemen, if you haven't purchased a gift yet, that's your next step today. Purchase a gift. Um, Christmas, for me, it's always a little bit of a stressful time. Uh, Honestly, it is. Uh, This gift-giving thing, I am terrible at the gift-giving thing. Uh, I know that I'm terrible at it, so the first step is, you know, admission, admission. Uh, So I'm admitting I'm terrible at it, but I know I'm terrible. And so because I know I'm terrible, you know, when you're bad at something, you just don't want to do it. And so uh, our first Christmas, my wife and I, we got married uh, six years ago this March. And uh, our first Christmas, I knew I was terrible at gift giving. I couldn't decide what to get her. And so I did what any wise man would do. I got her nothing. And I remember the moment like it was yesterday. We're sitting with family, you know, and everyone's passing out gifts and she's all excited. And I lean over and I said, hey, um you know, I, uh, yeah, I didn't get you anything, and then I blacked out, and I woke up, and I had this bruise on my face, and, you know, I just, no, I'm kidding, she didn't, but, uh, but really, it really is a stressful time, but, uh, you know, like I said, six years uh, this March, and so got a great marriage, it's going well, in spite of my lack of gift giving, you don't have to clap, 10 years, maybe you can clap, but you don't have to, Kurt just is, Kurt just loves me, so he just encourages all the time, but, uh, but, you know, everyone says, get ready for the wedding day. You know, the wedding, the wedding, the wedding. You always think for the wedding, but you really got to get ready for the marriage, right? I mean, the wedding uh, comes and goes. And I don't really honestly even remember our wedding day, uh, hardly at all. I really don't. It's, it's, a lot of, it's really a blur. I pretty much remember that I was here and we got married. Um, and that was it. And I think a part of that is the emotion of it all and uh, the excitement. And uh, one, one thing I do remember about our wedding day, though, is I, rem- I remember feeling like I was in a dream. I remember, I mean, because this is a thing that we prayed about, and we thought about, and we talked about, and we had been anticipating for a long, 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 long time. And then finally, when the day came, I was like, wait, are we, is it really happening today? And then at the reception after the wedding, I was for sure like that. I mean, I was like, Am I, is this legit a dream, or like, can I actually take her home tonight? You know, and, and uh, I remember at the reception, I just kept looking around, like, we're really married, right? We're really married. And, and anytime you're at a wedding, it's really helpful. Go up to the bride and the groom and say, hey, you're married. It helps them to know, like, it's really true. It happened. You really are married. And uh, so I felt like I was living in a dream, genuinely felt like, God, is this a dream or is this real? And, you know, all of us, we have moments like that in our lives. Uh, life isn't filled with those moments, but we have them here and there, where uh, whether it's a bad experience or a good experience. We have these experiences where in the midst of them, we're kind of like, is this real? Uh, hopefully it's a good thing, you know, it could be a bad thing where you're like, man, this is so bad, like, is this really happening to me right now? Or it could be a good thing, where you're like, I, maybe the birth of a child, the wedding, I finally graduated college. You're like, is this, happen? is this for real? Do I really have this diploma? What do I do now? You know, Do I go get a job? or What do I do? We have these moments where we feel like, I feel like I'm living in a dream. And that's exactly how the Israelites felt in the psalm that we're looking at today. They're reflecting back, uh, Psalm 126, the psalm that was read earlier for the celebration of Advent. They're reflecting back on a day where they said, it was like we were men who dream. Uh, it, it, most commentators say, they don't know for sure, but they think what they're reflecting back on is the, the release of the Israelites from the captivity of the Babylonians, which I'll tell you about here in a minute. But this song, Psalm 126, is a song that the Israelites would sing every year as they marched up to Jerusalem. It's a song of ascent. It's one of 15 psalms uh, throughout the book of Psalms, and it's a, it's a song that they would sing every single year during their festival days as they marched up to Jerusalem. It's a song of remembrance. It's a song of them remembering a day that God did something glorious for them so that they can look back on the faithfulness of God and look ahead in hope of the future faithfulness of God to them. Most commentators, like I said, they think that they're looking back on the day that they were released from captivity to the Babylonians. 6th century BC, Israelites go into captivity to the Babylonians. Guess how long they go into captivity? 70 years. They went into captivity for 70 years. Now, guess how long people were expected to live in those days? 40, 20, 70. 70. Psalm 90, verse 10. The days, the years of our life are three scores and 10. A score is 20 years. Life expectancy was 70 years. A score, 20, you know, three scores. 20, 20, 20, 10, that's 70. I'll do the math for you. So, life expectancy was 70 years. They're in captivity for 70 years. Just let that sink in for a minute. Every single person who is alive in Babylon, Every single person who got released from Babylon had only ever known a life of slavery. They never knew a life apart from a life of slavery. They had heard stories of the past. Growing up, they would have heard I remember what it was like when we were free. I remember what it was like when we weren't slaves. I remember what it was like when we weren't treated like property. We weren't treated like possessions. We actually had personal identity, we actually had freedom. I remember what it was like, but the people who got released had never personally experienced it. And they had heard of the promises. God said that after 70 years, we'll be free. God says we'll be free. God says one day we'll walk out of here. God says one day he'll restore our fortunes. But they never personally experienced it. I mean, can you imagine the day that they walked out of Babylon? How they must have felt, looking around at each other like, is it real? Are, is that really behind us? Are we really free? You know, this December, we look back on the birth of Jesus, the Son of God in the manger. We celebrate that Jesus came to save the world. He came to redeem the world or to buy it back. On his death on the cross, he paid the price for our sin so that he could buy back the world, you and I, for himself and the, actually the world itself for himself. He, he came to redeem the world, to buy it back, He also came to restore the world, to make all things right, all things as they should be. He came to restore our relationship with Him. He came to restore our relationship with one another. He came to make the world again a place where there isn't racism, where there isn't hatred, where there isn't murder, where there isn't wars and rumors of wars, where there isn't sickness, there isn't disease, there isn't death. Jesus came that He would buy it back and that He would restore it. The message that we're celebrating today is the message that He has redeemed the world, that He's made that possible and that He will Restore. We're looking back on the cross where Jesus promised to bring redemption to anyone who would call on his name. We're looking ahead to the day where he will restore. We live in between the times right now. We can look back on what he's done, we can remember, we can commit ourselves to him, but, but we're still looking ahead. We still haven't personally experienced. We're like the Israelites, and we look back on Adam and Eve in the garden when they walked with God and all was well and all was perfect and all was good. And we're looking ahead to the day where the world is once again as it should be. But we have never personally experienced it. But we can as we set our hearts on Jesus Christ. The Son of God came. The Son of God came, born into poverty, crucified on a Roman cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead forever defeating his enemies of Satan, sin, and death, proclaiming the promise of forgiveness and eternal life for anyone who had vowed their life to him. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope of our lives. I don't know if you, maybe you don't even know this yet, but the only true hope that you have in life is the hope of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, everything else will come up short. It will come up empty. That's what Jordan was saying in his testimony. He's talking about, man, I I, I just went lateral. I looked to everything else in this world, and everything I looked to, it fell short, eventually leading me to drugs and alcohol, eventually leading me to just losing my mind because I couldn't seem to find what life was really all about. And then he found it's about Jesus himself. The Israelites looked back on a temporary deliverance. They said, we were like men who dream. They said, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts, of joy. I mean, it would be an understatement to say that uh, their experience was a means for rejoicing, right? That's an understatement. I mean, you just got released from 70 years of slavery, lifelong slavery you just released, and God restored your fortunes. It's an understatement to say that that's a means for rejoicing. But their response is instructive for us because the Bible tells us that you and I were once slaves. That instead of being slaves to Babylonians, we were slaves to sin itself. We were slaves to sin, Romans 6 verse 20. And this sin it destroys. It destroys everything in our life. It destroys our minds, it destroys our hearts. it destroys everything around us. It destroys our relationships. It destroys our marriages. You know, marriages fit the, the divorce rate 50 percent in America, 50 percent divorce rate in America. Thats not because divorce, that's not because marriage doesn't work. You know why there's a 50 percent divorce rate because of sin? Because of unforgiveness, because of bitterness, because of uh, clamoring and, and biting and arguing, because of lying and cheating. That's why there's a 50% divorce rate. Not because marriage doesn't work, but because sin destroys everything in its path. You know why there's murder, racism, hatred? Because of sin. You know why there's wars and rumors of wars? Because of sin. Sin entered into the world and it destroyed everything in its path and it's continuing to destroy everything in its path. But John chapter one tells us that the light of the world came into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. John chapter one tells us that when Jesus comes in, he overcomes the power of sin. Matter of fact, he tells us that he paid the penalty of sin on the cross, forever canceling the record of death that stood against us. You and I, we were if you looked at a legal ledger, bad and good, the bad far outweighed the good in our life, and we never could repay God. We never could become good enough. We never could, could, could reach the level of good to where we would be acceptable to God. And if you were to take a, a ladder of, of, of morality, you know, and you were to put Adolf Hitler at the bottom and Mother Teresa at the top, and I would ask you, where do you put yourself on the ladder? You'd probably say, you know, probably right there, right there in the middle. You know, I know I'm not Mother Teresa. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I kind of do a few th- I like to, you know, do a few things, but, but I'm not Adolf Hitler. I mean, so like God, you know, God's probably good with me. I mean, I, I have to, you know, pay a little penance here or do a little something here, but he's probably relatively good with me. But the Bible tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. And the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. Not only that, he defeated the power of sin on the cross. The light comes into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. When he comes into our life, the darkness has to flee. I mean, darkness has never once in the history of the world overcome light. Ever. You could have the, 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 the darkest forest. I mean, just miles and miles and miles of forest where the trees are even covering the light of the moon. Dark as dark can be. The cloudiest night. And if you just light a candle in the middle of that forest, you'll be able to see that light. And actually, the darker it is, the further away you'll be able to see the light. On a very, very, very dark night, they say you'll be able to see a candle for 40 miles. Light always overcomes the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. When he comes, the darkness has to flee. And one day he'll destroy the effects of sin, which is what we celebrate during Advent. That he is coming. He is coming again. And as Brian said, Last week, there there is a day where the judgment of God will come, where the story will be wrapped up and there won't be time anymore. That God's not being slow today, but He's being patient because He doesn't want anyone to perish. Because He loves us, He's coming. He's coming again. And i got to tell you, church, when I look at this salvation, this deliverance, this message of hope, this this freedom from the slavery of sin that, that you and I have because of our hope in Christ, when I look at this, And then I look at the response of the Israelites when they get set free from the Babylonians. I feel convicted because the level of joy in my life does not match the level of joy in their life. And they were set free from a lesser slavery than I was set free from. They said our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. There's not enough joy in my life based on the salvation that we just looked at. Based on the fact that Jesus came, that Jesus rose, that that he conquered, that that he he paid the penalty of sin, he he defeated the power of sin, that that one day he'll he'll, he'll restore the effects of sin. Because of that, there should be a greater level of joy in my life, and I need to recapture joy this season. My question for you today is, where's your level of joy at? Do you need to recapture joy this season? Are you finding it difficult in your life to shout about the goodness of God? You know, the psalm tells us that sometimes you sow in tears, that sometimes life is hard, and, and when life is hard, sometimes it's difficult to shout about the, joy, the goodness of God. But actually, in shouting about the goodness of God, our hearts are filled with joy in spite of our circumstances. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we were sick last week, and when you're sick, you know, you watch a lot of TV, and so we watch a lot of TV, a lot of football, a lot of a lot of football. But it was good. It was good to watch that much football. And uh, I was like, this is what it's like to sleep in on a Sunday morning. Not as good as you might think. Um, so don't do it. But <laughs> well, we watched a lot of TV. Have you seen? And if you haven't seen them, there's these Lexus commercials. And on these Lexus commercials, they, they pull out this like, beautiful new Lexus. And, and this kid runs out you know, it's Christmas Day, and this kid runs out, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's just what I always wanted, you know, and they, and they, that's the little girl, and the little, you know, and the little boy, and, and, and they're running around to the Lexus, and they're looking at the wheels, and they're talking to the Lexus, and they're like, I love you, we're gonna have so much fun together, I can't wait to be, you know, riding around in you, we're gonna go on so many adventures, and, and then they look inside the Lexus, and like, oh, it's so beautiful, and then they kind of pan out, and it's the adult version of the kid, you know, it's like the 40-year-old woman and the 40-year-old guy, and, and they're like, it's just what I always wanted, and uh, you know, that's the level of joy that the psalmist is talking about, the level of joy that you might have if you were gifted a Lexus this Christmas, but, or if you're a sports fan, you know, and not like a sports fan, but I'm talking like you're a sports fan, like your, your team's games are on your calendar. Uh, like you might remember the last uh, time your team won the championship before you remember the date of your own anniversary, like you are a sports fan. Uh, if you're a sports fan, you know, it's, it's that moment when it's like double overtime and your team... Uh, has the ball and they, they get the goal or they, they uh, win the game. And you stand up and you shout and you scream and you're like, yeah! That's what shouts of joy are like. That's why, you know, side note, our prayer meetings are loud. Uh, that's why we believe in expressive worship here on Sunday morning is because there's reason for shouts of joy. Uh, we're called Jubilee Church because of the Old Testament, the year of Jubilee. Every seven times seven years, every 49 years, the next year, the 50th year, was the year of Jubilee. Every debt was canceled, every slave was set free, and everything was restored to the way that it should be, and people threw a party. It was the year of Jubilee. They, I mean, think about it, like, student loan, mortgage, credit card, car payment, done. <laughs> Can I get a nightmare? I love you, Brittany. Uh, they threw a party. They were excited. They were enthusiastic. I mean, this is like you saved 15% or more on your car insurance. That's it's that kind of joy. Look, Advent's an opportunity for us to once again have our, fa- our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy because it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to remember just how good God has been and how good God is and how wonderful it will be when he returns. And check this out. When Christians remember what God has done and they actually become a genuinely joyful people, you know, not like... Uh, Sunday fake joyful people. Not like I pasted a smile on this morning even though I'm mad at my husband. Or not like I pasted on a smile this morning even though I'm going to spank my kids, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. But like a genuinely, to the core of who we are, joyful people. Which sometimes sounds like shouts of joy and sometimes is tears of joy. Because we look at the cross and we're just in awe of what he's done or tears of joy because what we're going through is hard but we know that God is good to us. When we become a genuinely joyful people, check out what happens. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The nations are the people who aren't a part of the people of God. People who don't believe in God look on the church. They look on Christians and they say, God has done great things for that people. They look on us, and they say, their joy makes me think that God may really be good. remember last year I met a woman who was checking out our services for the first time. I said, how'd you find Jubilee? It's a common question that I ask. About 50% of the time it's uh, G-O-O-G-L-E, Google. I Googled you, you know. Uh, But the other half, it's someone invited me, or I drove by or whatever, and um, I said, how'd you find Jubilee? And she said, I live across the street, and I was watching People come out of your service, and I saw people come out, and they just looked so joyful. It was her language. She said, they just looked so joyful, and I saw them come out again and again and again, and they, they were laughing with one another, and they seemed to just love each other, and they just seemed like such a joyful, happy people. And She said, when I saw that the first time, I thought, oh, that's odd, and then, the, and then I saw it again and again and again. I thought, I have to go figure out what this is all about, and so she came. She checked it out. She ended up rededicating her life to the Lord because, first and foremost, she saw The joy of the people of God. When we remember the goodness of God in our life, it is never a waste of time. It is never, I mean, we're busy people, we're productive people, we're task-oriented people, a lot of us. It is never a waste of time to slow down, to get out our journal, and just remember how God has been good to us. And then when we look at our life and there are things that still aren't right, you know, when we look at our life and our finances are still in bad shape or our marriage is a mess, or someone we love gets sick, or whatever it is that's still broken and not right in our life, that needs restoration, we do what the Israelites do. Like this psalm, we take those things to God in prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. The Negeb was a desert region in Israel with little vegetation. I mean, this is like a dry, arid desert, if you can imagine that, in the middle of Israel. And, but every once in a while, there would be this torrential rain. There would just be this outpouring of rain in the Negeb. And after the outpouring of rain, there would be this vegetation that sprouted up, and it would just be life and beautiful all around. What the Israelites are saying is they're saying, God, our life is like that right now. Our life is like a desert, but God, will you pour down the blessing? Our life is like a desert. Our life is like the Negeb. I mean, what's it? A desert is hopeless, but God is the God who speaks hope into a hopeless situation. The desert is barren, but God is the God who speaks life into a lifeless situation. They say, our life is like the Negeb." It's a desert. It's broken. It's dry. We feel spiritually far away from you, God. We have, and not only spiritually speaking, they say pr- practically, like our fortunes are gone from us. Our life is like the Negev, but oh God, would you make it like streams in the Negev. John seven thirty eight. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let me say this to you this morning. You may feel like your life is a desert, but if you run to Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, if you seek the face of Jesus, your heart will become a river. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Even when everything al- around you is like a desert place, your heart can be a river of living water. And you see, here's the promise those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Sowing is farming language. You know, farmers go out and they sow seed, right? Why? Because they know the heart, this is sowing season, the harvest season's coming. And if I sow seeds now, then I may reap a harvest in the future. But he says, we sow with tears. Who sow in tears? The psalmist, you know, the psalmist isn't into the power of positive thinking. He doesn't say, hey, just believe that you've got a great harvest. Just believe that life is good. Just believe that nothing's wrong. Just believe. No, he doesn't say that. He says, yeah, you're going to sow in tears. Matter of fact, he goes on and he says, those who go out weeping. Sometimes it's tears, sometimes it's just weeping. If you've ever been in a season like that, Where you wake up and you're weeping, you go to bed and you're weeping, you go through your day and you're weeping, you have to run in the bathroom because you're weeping. He says, sometimes you sow in tears, sometimes you're weeping. But those who sow in tears, you know, sometimes when it's hard, you're tempted to want to quit, to throw in the towel, to just curl up on our couch and give up. The Israelites felt the same way. It's why as they're marching to Jerusalem, they have to sing this song to themselves, (laughs) I mean, if you, if you think that uh, you know, the Bible is just full of these people with amazing faith and amazing courage and amazing love for God, and they never messed up, and man, I just, I'm terrible and I could never be like them, uh, that's not true. They have this song. They have this song of saying, oh God, you, we're sowing in tears, but we need to sow in tears. They have this song to remind themselves that it's worth it to keep going, that it's worth it to keep marching, that it's worth it to keep moving ahead, that it's worth it to keep investing. That's all sowing is. Sowing is just investing. It's worth it to keep investing in God because he's faithful. He has been faithful. He will be faithful. So keep investing because the harvest is coming. Keep sowing, he says. Keep seeking God. Keep being generous. Keep coming to church. Keep praying for your friends and family. Keep seeking. Keep sowing. And you will. Notice the confidence. He doesn't say, you might reap a harvest of joy. Hey, if you keep sowing, man, you might. God may be good to you. He, no, it's not what he says. He says, You will. You will. Reap a harvest of joy. What we sow today is what we will reap tomorrow. That is a principle that is laid up in heaven that has been brought down to earth for us. Whatever we, a man sows, he shall reap. Whatever we sow in this life, we shall reap. Whatever we sow today, we will reap. Whether it's next week or next month or next year, we will reap what we sow. For good and for bad. And for some of us in our life right now, I mean for all of us, we, in, 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 in various different areas, we are reaping what we sowed yesterday or the day before last year when we were 14. We always reap what we sow. And that should, enc- that should, it's a warning to us, but it should encourage us. It should encourage us that no matter what we're going through right now, there's a promise that he will come, he'll restore all things, but also if we sow good seed now, no matter what we're going through, we will reap a harvest of joy. We'll be like this psalm that says he, he came bringing his sheaves with him. Sheaves was grain wrapped together, this bundles of grain. He just went out with a little seed. He came back with bundles of grain. Wherever you are today, God is inviting you and I in. He's inviting us in that we may be a part of the future harvest. And this harvest, it's a harvest of joy. It's a harvest of joy for you and I, but it's a harvest of joy for others as well. And God is inviting us in to be a part of it. For some of us, that means taking the step today of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been in church or you've been around, but you've never taken the step of saying, Jesus, I want to surrender my entire life to you. I want to become a Christ follower. I want to follow after you. And I, I want to receive this forgiveness of sins so that, so that my sins will be washed away, that they'll be cast as far as the east is from the west. But also, I want to give my life to you. I want you to be my Lord. And I'm going to come follow you so that I can just sow my life with you. If you've never done that, today could be the day where you do that. Romans. Chapter 10, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to wonder, will I be in heaven? Does God accept me? Does he love me? Are my sins really forgiven? You don't have to wonder. You can have confident assurance. You can be 100% totally and completely sure that God loves you, that you're forgiven, and that you have a place with him when this life ends and the next one begins. And here's, here's a simple, it's so simple, but it's so hard. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth that you're not Lord, that you're not in control, that no other God is either, that, that all the other go- gods are actually false gods, they, they don't prove to be true, they don't prove to satisfy, they don't prove to give life, but, but He alone is Lord. Confess it with your mouth, so publicly proclaim it, say it out loud. Not just, I'll, I'll kind of put him away, but let him take over your whole life and heart. Confess that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe in your heart that this is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die for the sins of the world. He did conquer death by rising from the dead, forever defeating Satan, sin, and death. He is Lord. Declare it. He has been risen from the dead. He is the Son of God. Believe it. And the confident assurance can be yours that you will be saved. If you take that step today, if you believe in Jesus and commit your life to his lordship, you can know forever and ever and ever and ever that he is mine and I am his. And that's the first step. It's like entering into a brand new life. It's like walking in a garden for the first time. You take the step and then the rest of your life you walk with him. It's not like a ticket to heaven. If you think of it like a ticket to heaven, then you don't get it. If you think of it like a ticket to heaven, like, oh, I'll just make sure I'm in and then live my life, then you don't get it because it's about Him becoming Lord. And actually, Him becoming Lord is the best way you could possibly live your life. So come on in. We invite you in to come on in and receive Christ as Lord this Christmas. But look, it's not just for those who have never taken that step. We'll give you an opportunity at the end, if that's you, by the way, to, to come forward and receive prayer and really take that uh, step. But it's it's not... It's not just for those of us who have never taken that step. It's actually uh, about all of us sowing into a harvest of future joy for ourselves and others. And, uh, man, I just I want to urge us and encourage us to take advantage of the opportunity that we have this Christmas to share the joy of Christ with other people. I mean, Christmas is such a unique opportunity to invite people to church. They, they've done, done studies to say 38%... Uh, People are 38% more likely to say yes to an invite on Christmas than they are any other time of the year. And if we were a company and this was like a sales pitch, those would be good numbers, right? Uh, But we're not a company. It's not a sales pitch. We actually believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. We actually believe that he's the joy of the world. We actually believe that anyone who turns their life to him will have more joy than they ever did. We believe that Jesus is better than the Lexus, right? Amen? I'm scared. Amen? Amen. All right, he is. Okay, some of you were like, man, I really like that Lexus, though. <laughs> we believe that he is. And so why would we not share his great name? Why would we not extend the invitation and say, come along? Just come along with me this Christmas. Just come along and see. Just come and see what God might do in your life. You know, we have these invitation cards, and we put five in every chair. And you may use this. You may use Facebook. You may just say, hey, what do you believe about Christmas? What do you think it's all about? What's it mean to you? For me, oftentimes, I just go up to my neighbors, my friends, my family. I say, hey, you know, my church does this Christmas service. If you're looking for a place, we'd love to have you. Come check it out. Let me know if you're coming, you know. You can wear whatever you want. You can sit in the back. You don't have to do anything. We're not going to call you out. Just come. I'd love for you to come. And just chill, you know, hey, there you go. Walk away. And then I get on my knees and I pray. And I pray and I pray in tears and in weeping. Because it's not about getting someone to a service. It's not about getting someone just to convert to your religion so that there's more people like us. It's about people knowing the joy of the world. It's about people having the joy of Christmas in their life. About their hearts being full. About their lives being changed. About them knowing the love of God that maybe they don't know. There's a lot of people in your sphere of influence, your coworkers, your neighbors, Facebook friends, that there's an opportunity for you this Christmas, and I don't want you to miss it, that you can invite them along that they might experience the joy of Christmas. So, church, let's step up to the plate this Christmas. Let's take a few swings and see what God might do. I mean, the guy, Kevin, who invited Jordan, he didn't know that that was going to happen in Jordan's life. He didn't know that God was going to touch Jordan like that, but he did. Somebody invited me. Somebody invited you. They didn't know. They just took a step of faith and then left it in the hands of God. And that's all we're going to do this Christmas. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us.